that Jesus is telling us that there are things about us, things about you, that need to change in order for you to live the saved life. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast that focuses on coaching you up in the growth of your faith. Mm -hmm. Our world is struggling to find peace in the midst of all this chaos, direction in the midst of all this aimlessness, and purpose in the midst of no meaning. We're challenging everyone to take time to think about the point and purpose of your life, and then you will know what you believe and why you believe it. This leads to a stronger faith that is how you find peace, hope, and love in this world. My name is Jess Mayer. I'll be your host, but we cannot do this without the one, the only, the salty pastor himself, Dr. Douglas Peak. Welcome, everybody. Glad you're here as we just jump into this uh, podcast called The Disappearing Women is our focus for the next four weeks. And we're talking about uh, things, particularly for women, that the Bible teaches that helps them discover their authentic person and who Christ is calling them to be, what he's doing in them and hopes to do through them. Absolutely. And we have been utilizing the life fulfillment equation that you mm-hmm. introduced last week mm-hmm. as the template for investigating what the Bible says to women. Mm-hmm. Um, it comes from the words of Jesus in Luke 9. And it says, if we know Jesus, uh, you can read that as follow him. We know ourselves. We deny ourselves and know the world. We pick up our cross that equals a saved life. Mm-hmm. So we're utilizing that that statement of Follow him, deny yourself, pick up your cross to, you know, kind of create this equation that you had, which is a little more easy to understand if you put it in, know Jesus, know yourself, know the world, and then you'll find a saved life. Yes. So on Tuesday, we talked about how discovering what we need to deny within ourselves is the key to growth. When it comes to women, you discussed the curse, Mm -hmm. um, which is also part of uh, the way that we're kept from really knowing ourselves and we're easily tempted out of that. So uh, let's do what every man I know is fearful of doing and investigate <laughs> what is going on with women. Yeah, so, boy, it's just, uh, you know, it's it's just a conversation killer. It's a non-starter when, when uh, a lady comes in and wants to ask questions and you start with, well, you have a curse. <laughs> that, yes. That tends to just, you know, stop any fruitful conversation but if you really are willing to dig through this and say i'd like to know myself you're going to discover some things you never discovered before and i think it's the it's the doorway to freedom in christ and so because here's here's the real question and that is if the goal of jesus is to give you an abundant life not just in heaven but here on earth then why does he include denying yourself as a critical part of living in that abundance? In other words, he says, if you want to save your life, you need to lose it for my sake. Mm. And they're like, well, well, what does that mean? Well, you're going to have to follow me, know me. Right. You're going to have to deny yourself daily, okay, which is know yourself, and then you're going to have to pick up your cross and so I'm like, oh, my goodness, what is it about you that you need to deny? Why did Jesus feel this was so important that he listed it out as one of the primary variables in discovering and living in a saved life? And it seems to me that Jesus is telling us that there are things about us, things about you that need to change in order for you 
to live the saved life. Uh, another way could, of saying it could be things about you need to change if you're going to live in the kingdom of God and experience the blessing of the kingdom of God in your life each and every day. And since we're focusing on women in particular through this series and how society is trying to erase the unique value of the feminine uh, in women today, the conclusion, I think, of this question is clear, and that is, ladies, there are things in you you need to deny in yourself because society wants to use those things against you in order to erase you or disappear you. Yeah, I mean, I think the the idea of really understanding that the world's out to get you, that society yeah. as a whole is wanting to utilize something that God made and twist it and, and kind of use it to hurt you mm-hmm. really changes how you're going to view your interactions with society, but yeah. also with the way society influences you because they don't want what's best for you. Right. Right. Even in though society, it seems like they do it, yeah. it, they don't want what's best for you. And you have to do some really hard digging. And we talked about that on Tuesday is it's, it's not necessarily always a fun process to mm-hmm. dig down and go, mm-hmm. what, what about me is needing to change to be better for my relationship with God and to reveal who I really am. Right. Not just right. the world's view. And that's a hard process because it's probably, and this is not just for women, it's for men too. What is the world telling you that you're doing and need to maybe stop doing in order to really unlock your fullest yeah. potential? Because it appeals to a certain part of you, right? But the part that it appeals to, is it the part that is... God's version of you or the societal version of you, which is, oh, I better deny that because if I don't, I am going to be in trouble. It's the same idea of uh, donuts appeal to you, Pastor Doug, (laughs) but they do do not necessarily (laughs) uh, speak to or help you in the long run. Man, if I (laughs) I just start looking like a donut, man, I start, (laughs) I smell a donut now and I start gaining weight. It's not good. So tell me a little bit more about some specific things that are really plaguing women from being able to discover and know who they really are. Well, let's talk about things that women have said to me and all the feedback we've gotten. And I think research, there's a lot of research out there on women that that we've looked at and investigated that would concur with all of this and see if there's any connection to what women are struggling with to what the Bible calls is the influence of the curse. Okay, so Salty Pastors is designed to help you think for yourself, ladies. So what I'm going to do is present the, the data and the information, try to connect the dots, and then you decide whether what I'm saying is truthful uh, for you or not. One of the things that women deal with more than anything else is insecurity. Uh, a feeling that they are, uh, are not completely secure and at peace in their life. Uh, women tend to struggle with insecurity more than men do in the areas of their appearance. They are insecure in their relationships. They are insecure in the parenting of their children and their relationships with their children. They are insecure in their work for building a home. Uh, I, I never say, do women work outside the home? Because women always work. You know, they do work, mm. and it's just a question of where do they apply their effort. And it seems to me this is a top issue for most, if not all, women, is that 
they deal with insecurity in so many different areas of their life, particularly the ones that are most important to them. Let's say their marriage or their close friendships or whatever. The real question is not do you struggle with insecurity or not. The question is why? Why do you struggle with insecurity? Is there any connection to the curse? All right. Now, Compare yourself to men for just a moment, ladies, and that is this, to try to bring clarity to answer the question why. The curse for men has to do with work, right? So the world uses this against some men by convincing them that they have no value unless they're working, right? And so what do these men end up doing? Well, they become workaholics. Okay. They can't stop working, right? right. It's just, it just becomes, I don't, I don't. I can't, they can't rest. They can't stop. They just work, 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 work. Well, in the same way, the curse for women has to do with relationships, especially their most intimate relationships. If they're married, it's their husband, right? Therefore, women, you know, feel no value unless they have a perfect relationship. And this is where codependency comes from or where overfunctioning in a marriage comes from that makes that relationship suffer. In marriage, what was meant to be an intimate partnership, something to bring out the best from one another, becomes a point of constant friction. Uh, The dissatisfaction that drives women to always uh, try to improve or change their marital relationship, it's never enough, so I need more really has a negative impact on them. So what if, ladies, you find yourself in this boat? You know what the curse is doing? It's driving me to try to push my marriage to places that are this, you know, utopia of the perfect relationship Mm -hmm. I have in my mind. It's like that pressure that some parents put on their kids to be perfect, you know, there was a book written by this. This is very prominent in Asian cultures called The Tiger Mom, you know, where yeah. the mom just pushes the kids relentlessly. And, and sometimes uh, a female a woman who's in a marriage can push her marriage forward relentlessly. So maybe if I should be so bold, maybe what you need is something to counter this, counter this tendency that causes you to push because you feel insecure. Now, remember, the, the, the curse is what makes you feel insecure, not God's version of you. And what happens is because you're insecure, the world says, here, let us fix this problem. You're right. You're right. You're right. And so they are constantly giving you these images of what the perfect relationship is about, you know, romance novels and self-tests and evaluate, you know, all this kind of stuff. And so what happens is you're constantly working on it. Right. And so may I be so bold as to suggest that what you need is you need a relationship Sabbath every week. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so, will you define that for us, Pastor? <laughs> yeah. It's one day a week, ladies, where you rest from working on anything in your relationships. You don't, you're not trying to push them, develop them, grow them. You take one day a week where you just celebrate the fact that you have one. You enjoy it. You thank God for it. You are just 
uh, uh, overwhelmed with gratitude that you have something to work on the other six days, mm -hmm. right? But you need to take one day a week to counter the, the, the drive of insecurity and what it does to your relationships where you just take a breath and you just say, thank goodness uh, I have a husband, you know, and whether he, wherever he charts on the, the good, perfect range of husbands, you could say, I've got a guy that is committed to me and made a covenant with me and wants to be with me. He's chosen me. And so I, I can be happy with that. Take a relationship Sabbath every week, because what that does is that then gives you an idea of how to work on your marriage or relationship the other six days of the week. You, we, we ask men, right? Uh, it, this really appeals to men is that you need a day off. You need a Sabbath from work mm -hmm. and guys who can't take Sabbaths from work tend to end up being what? workaholics. Yeah. And so that's not healthy. Well, if the curse drives men to do this in, with work, then what does the curse drive you to do with your relationships? Is it similar in any way, shape or form? Well, and I think, you know, this could also be applied to if you're not in a, a marital relationship, if you're, you know, single, single and hopeful. I, yes. I think there's still relationships in your life that you're probably still doing this too, right? Like mm. why is so-and-so not calling me or whatever, right? Like you have other relationships in your life that you're probably still having some of this influence. It may not present as, uh, strongly as a marital relationship where you're with that person a lot more of the day and time. Right. But I think, you know, extrapolating it out and utilizing it for people that are single or people that are in, you know, mm -hmm. not, in a relationship at this moment in time, there are things that are still applicable there. Just going and saying, Hey, I'm going to take a new perspective on the relationships that I do have. And I'm just going to celebrate that. I do have friends. You know, I do have a boyfriend. I do have these things because yeah. it's similar to, you know, Paul encourages us, you know, even when we're in struggles and times of trials that we should be rejoicing and celebrating what God's doing in our life. And it puts a new perspective on what you're going through. Right. Mm -hmm. And you're encouraging the women to do the exact same thing of, if all you ever do is grind away at trying to fix this thing, then you never really take time to step back and go, you know what? I enjoy I, it. I enjoy it. And, yeah. and I'm glad I at least have it, even though they're not perfect, even though they drive me crazy sometimes. I at least have relationships and I'm excited that I have them. And that yeah, because the curse drives insecurity and then your insecurity drives you to react a certain way. Right. That's how it impacts you. And if you take a relationship Sabbath, I think what's going to happen is you're going to end up feeling more secure in your relationships mm -hmm. because you take a day where you just, it, like you said, if you're a single uh, gal, if you took one day a week and you just said, text your friends and your family or whoever, and just say, man, I'm just so, I thank God you're my friend. Right. Isn't awesome. You're just, you're so fun or you're so loyal. You're so whatever. If you're married, take one day a week where you just celebrate your husband. I can tell you that if you were to do this one day a week for 24 hours, where you just say, thank you for being my husband. Thank you for being a guy. Um, I appreciate you so much. You're so awesome. It would transform your marriage. I guarantee it. Absolutely. Well, uh, let's talk about the other uh, another point where this might be affecting women. Well, I think the, another thing that women struggle with a lot is loneliness or isolation, right? Okay. Even for introverts, 
you know, they, they can, they can tend to, even though they don't necessarily want to be around people all the time, they do want some people. And yeah, they can be very lonely and isolated. You know, uh, their tendencies uh, towards introversion don't help them overcome this. So when, when, when women are lonely or isolated, they feel unloved. And when they are lonely and isolated, they feel unloved more intensely than guys do. Mm. Now, there's two reasons for this. First, it's due to their own self-perception. They feel more intensely loneliness and isolation because deep down, like everybody else, they're flawed, but they interpret this to mean how could anybody actually love me or live with me or be with me, right? So it just reinforces that, that societal version of themselves that says they're never enough, right? The second reason why women feel loneliness more intensely than guys do is because the world constantly feeds discontent in women. From a relational perspective, society creates this utopia relationship, right? And then tells you that if you're not reaching it, if you're not living your best life, then then you're uh, flawed or you're not doing what, unfortunately, this creates loneliness and isolation. You know, some of the lo- most lonely people are women in marriages, mm. right? And so you're, you're using a societal value to determine whether or not you are loved. You're using the societal's uh, definition of relationship utopia. And if you're not living up to it, then what the curse does is it magnifies that difference to make you feel worse about your situation, more intensely lonely. And so it, it's really fascinating how this has come out. And then I see it as a explosion of loneliness amongst women. Uh, just recently, uh, uh, Morgan Stanley, it's an investment firm and a massive bank. You know, it's one of the most biggest, you know, banks and right. brokerage firms and all that kind of stuff here. They're trying to figure out where the market's going. And so they did this study. You know what they found out? They found out that almost 50% of all women who are between the ages of 25 and 45, meaning they are marriageable and meaning they are in their years of having children, will be single and childless. Mm-hmm. 45% of women will be single and childless by 2030. Oh my That's seven years from now. Yeah. That's not a good thing. No. Particularly for these women. My heart breaks for them, you know, uh, of how the societal version of them has deceived them to now they are living alone without children. That's not a good thing. That's like, uh, you know, it's not, I've, I've said this many times through men's series. It's not good for men to be isolated and on their own. Our last right. series was called Desperado, saying, you know, Quoting the song lyrics from the Eagles, you know, at the end, you know, you've got to, you got to come in off the range before it's too late, you know, because right. their point. In the same way, women, you need to counter this. Part of the problem, I think, though, is no fault divorce in America. Here, here's another sign that this is going. Another stat: eighty percent of divorces today are initiated by women. Mm. Thirty-five years ago, when I started in the ministry. In Kansas, in Sedgwick County, uh, I volunteered my time as a seminar leader for the civil court. 
And what the civil court required is if you filed for divorce and you had children, minor children, you were required to take this course called children of divorce. And it just basically said, you need to consider that here's are the things that your divorce is going to do to your children. Here are the impacts. And it wasn't a religious thing or anything. I gave my time to the civil court because this was a court-ordered course, and then I was a presenter in it. Uh, By the way, uh, you know how Paul says boasting is not profitable, but sometimes necessary? Yes. I was the only guy presenter, and I was the most popular presenter out of all of them. You're just so cool, Pastor. <laughs> no, it's just because I, I, well, first it was different when a guy would do it. But the second thing is that I, I was a commu- I had trained in communication. Right. Everybody else was like a psychologist and they were boring as so could you, they all so be. So you knew how to present it well. I could tell jokes and, yes. and, and, and you know, relate the material to everyday situations. So I became the top presenter for them. And so what's really interesting is that when I was doing that, do you know what the, uh, kind of the breakdown percentage wise is 52% of divorces when I was doing that were instigated by men. So 48 were instigated by women today over 80%. Wow. Yeah. That is a massive shift in just 30 years for, but it's important. It's intellectually dishonest to not consider the fact that actual abuse in relationships is a part of that number and no fault fault divorce has allowed women in abusive relationships the capacity to leave much more easily which is great which is great so but it's also important to note that the uh percent of relationships marriages has remained constant for the last 25 30 years at 20 percent for the ones that have abuse involved, is that what yeah? You're talking so about? you take all the marriages that end in divorce, right? Okay. Only twenty percent of them are because of abuse, and that, domestic and violence. That number stayed the same, and since that number back has stayed when you the same. Doing that class, yep, that okay. yeah, when only forty-eight percent of women instigated divorces, and now it's over eighty. Okay. So how do you account for that? I would say that. Uh, if there's no instances of physical abuse, violence, or abandonment in your marriage, and you as a woman are thinking, I'm so unhappy and dissatisfied with my relationship, and every time you think about your marriage, uh, the only cause for this is your husband, then I would say you probably need to dig a little bit deeper and know yourself. Okay. Because you can dump your husband, it's easy in today's world, but it's not going to solve your problem. Right. So being being clear about like what is the is the reason you're discontent in your marriage, right? Like yes. is this is this obviously there are forms of abuse and things of that nature that those do need to be addressed and taken Absolutely. care of and what and and addressed immediately, right? But if if it's just I just don't like being around him. Yeah. I'm just not happy. Everything he, I, everything bad in my life is his fault. Things of that nature. Then there might, and I'm completely innocent of all things. I'm a perfect little angel. If that's your thought process, then you're saying you might need to go down a couple layers before you make a decision like divorce. And I've been in conversations with women before who come in and, and say, and they go, 
the the conversation often goes like this and that is well i know i'm not perfect but my husband and they have all this list but. and then <laughs> yeah they'll say i know i'm not perfect but and so then what i will do is i will they'll have this whole list about their husband and then i'll say well since he's not here uh let's go back to your first statement that you're not perfect how how are you contributing to this what how are you not perfect right. tell me then maybe that we can do something about that and we can talk about it. Because you can't um, change him, but you can't yeah. change yourself. And what I find probably, well, I would say in, it's it's realistic based on the, these data numbers. It's about 80%, 8 out of 10 women will say, well, you know, sometimes I'm short of temper. But he, and then they just go launch back into this whole mm -hmm. list. And so, you know, th their mind is fixated on the fact that I'm not happy because of my husband. And what I've always tried to get women to consider is this, is that it's okay to be legitimate. I mean, it's legitimate to say I'm unhappy that my husband is a certain way or does certain things. It's not legitimate to say that getting him to change those things is what will make me happy. Mm, okay. See, those are two totally separate things. Right. But if all you consider is your emotional response to the situation... I know, see, I knew I shouldn't even have done this series because after <laughs> after this series, uh, I'll tell you what, I, if I'm not canceled, uh, everybody is going to be mad at me. So but but I'm just I, I was like, God, I, I can't I cannot say what I believe the scripture specifically teaches. And that is if you only use your emotions to evaluate truth instead of the objective statements of truth in the revelation of God, then what you end up with is you convolute those together, right? Mm -hmm. They're the same thing and they're not, they are dramatic. They're worlds apart. It's a, it's, it's, it's a whole difference between desires and expectations, you know? And that is, is that I can't be happy unless he changes is an expectation. If you say, I, I can be happy whether he changes or not. I desire him to be more of whatever. And then then and then if you take a relationship sabbatical on top of that and you start celebrating what you do have from him, you're gonna find a radically different level of happiness in your marriage. Right. I guarantee it. But if you just stay focused on, guess what? I'm so lonely, and even though I'm married, it's all his fault. What you have to understand is you got to know yourself and know how Satan is using the curse to make your pain more intense so that you don't understand the difference between expectations and desires, right? Yeah. And that, I think, is what you really have to get at yeah, if you want to grow. That curse of, lonely, of, of feeling this loneliness and isolation, especially when the world is constantly telling you, you got to do it on your own. Like right. every, no one's ever going to help you. You're like, mm -hmm. they, they beat into you on a daily basis that you are in this by yourself, unless we say you need to be on our side and then we're on your side, but really you're only in this by Right. And so it's like, yeah. there's this constant stream of messages and this is just stuff I've picked up as a man. I can't even imagine the amount of things that they're there. You guys are actually receiving as women that we're not even aware of. We're just oblivious to. Right. And yeah. so it's like, um, well, and, and understanding that the world is constantly attempting to make you feel lonely because then you're easier to convince to do the things they want you to do. Right? Exactly. And this is really important for single women. And that is, is that you're so lonely, you're so lonely, you need to have a connection. So go out and have sex with these guys. Right. But I can guarantee you that as your body count goes up, your loneliness goes up at twice the rate. Right. So 
as we are wrapping up, um, I see on our outline that we have that you had one other point that you wanted to hit. So, <laughs> Well, I think another thing that women in general are is they're frustrated with men. And, and I, I just want to say, accurate. ladies, I, I completely understand, you know, uh, why you're frustrated with men. One of the feminine attributes is the capacity to nurture. Okay. And nurturing is different than building. Ma masculine is designed to build. Feminine is designed to nurture due to the fact that nurture is a part of your feminine uh, essence, your relationship with your emotions and feelings is different than the relationship that the masculine has with feelings and emotions. Right. Okay. So basically what I'm saying is that women, your relationship with your emotions is dramatically different than a man and his relationships with your emotions. And this frustrates you. Can you, can you give the example you gave at our huddle <laughs> earlier this week about swimming? <laughs> yeah. It's, well, it, when it comes to, you know, emotions, you know, guys are out there in the middle of the ocean and all they're thinking in the emotional ocean, they're just thinking, uh, can I tread water? Am I going to drown or not? Can I get some floaties? Yeah. Can I get some float? <laughs> That's it. And women are dolphins, you know, they're swimming around. <laughs> this is the best thing in the world. You know, they're, they're, and they're mammals, you know? And what I mean by that is that most people don't realize Dolphins breathe air. Yes. They're not fish. Right. <laughs> right. But the water is their home. Yes. And that's what emotions are like. Guys are like rocks. Uh, emotions are We're just uh, attempting not to sink, sink to the bottom. To the bottom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so it's really important to understand that is wh what happens is women will examine and evaluate their emotions in order to see how to adjust. Mm. Right. To a situation i need to adjust and stuff and then if i adjust and my emotional temperature changes then i know i'm on the right path masculine emotions or men only see emotions as alarms going off okay it could be a good alarm or it could be a bad alarm all it is is an alarm it's going beep 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 is that a good thing or a bad thing and the guy looks at it he quickly asks is it a negative emotion or a positive emotion and that's why when men have negative emotions what do they do they act out. They act out because it's an alarm. So you need to act out, do something. Right. It, it's, it's in our DNA because it's like danger, danger, you know, boom, right. do something. Okay. When men have positive emotions, what do they do? They, they act out. Act out. <laughs> Yeah, they write poetry, you know, and they sing songs and they start doing all this stuff, right? Right. So, so what's interesting is men aren't introspective about their emotions. They act out, on, they act on them because their relationship with emotions is their alarms. That's right. it. They are just alarms to interpret their environment. Women, on the other hand, the feminine, have a evaluative relationship with their emotions in order because they're nurturers, right? Mm -hmm. And so they, they incorporate that. So why is this important? Well, it's important, ladies, because even though men give you legitimate reasons for you to be frustrated with them, you also have to realize that when you expect men to relate to you on your terms, you're asking a masculine to act like a feminine. That's what you're doing. Uh, you're feminine. You relate to emotions differently. 
you're processing emotions, evaluating emotions. Uh, and so, but what you're doing is you're saying, I want my husband to just listen to me. Why does he always have to try and fix it? So what you're actually asking him to do is, honey, I need you to act like a woman for me. Now, some guys will learn to do that. But my point is, is, is it fair to ask him to do that? I think that's between you and your <laughs> Jesse's like, I want to run for office one day, so I'm not going to answer that one. Okay. But I mean, I think, I think I understand your point is you are going to be infinitely more frustrated if you do not understand this core concept that when yes. you are relating to a man or asking a man to listen to you, you have to understand the way he relates to emotions. And if you do that, then when he doesn't get it or he's not quite tracking with you or giving you what yeah. you need, you're going to be a lot less frustrated because you're like, well, I know that he's not, he's not yes. a female. So he doesn't understand the emotions the same way I do. Like, I think there's some men that are a little bit more in touch with the ability to do that. And correct. That's fine. And there's some guys that are really dense and they, they don't even have, they need like life jackets to survive in the ocean. They can't even tread water in the emotion right. ocean. Right. Right. And so it's like, if you understand as a woman that men do not relate to their emotions, the exact same way you do, you're going to decrease your frustration significantly, significantly. when interacting with men. And then <laughs> How you decide to do that in your marriage is between you guys based on your emotional intelligence and ability to tread water in the yeah. emotion ocean. And what's happening here is I think now that you've got that, if ladies, if you've listened to me today, is that you realize that your frustration, your isolation, your insecurity are things that come out of the curse. And society is trying to use those against you to push you into a destructive way to feel and to think. Mm. And God is saying, no, I want to call you something better. And you can see how society is doing this to you. It messes with your emotions. It messes with your isolation. It messes with your, your, your feminine nurturing tendencies. And one of the really refreshing things that I'm seeing, you know, as a pastor in this for so long is how the younger generation, Gen Z of women are noticing this and they're starting to talk about it. Here's a video of two young female influencers talking about the messages society is giving young women and they do it with a lot of humor and I just thought you need to see this to notice how these young ladies are really making a great women's point. Rights. But we can't define what a woman is but also men can be women and no uterus no opinion but also men can get pregnant. Men are oppressing us but also it's okay if biological men take over our spaces and our sports. Women are so over-sexualized in this culture, but it's empowering if women are the ones sexualizing themselves. Are you guys quite done yet? Like, are you okay? That just about sums it up. This is my friend Brianna Robinson. You should absolutely go follow her. She's fabulous. It's incredibly hypocritical as everything is. Modern day feminism is not consistent in the slightest. Somebody commented and said, high empathy and low IQ generally correlate with feelings over facts. I mean, that's the basis of modern day feminism. Isn't that interesting? That is hilarious. And they're young women that are coming up with this on their own. Right. So, I, I, you know, I think it's really refreshing to see this. Yeah, I, and I think, like you said, I think Gen Z starting to catch on and go, wait a minute, what I'm hearing is not quite adding Society up. has sold us a bill of goods. It's just not true. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you, Pastor, for... Um, 
tying all this together and I mean you you went out and this is what you've received from women that have spoken up to you about things that they're feeling and you've basically gone in and done the research of why those feelings may be really prevalent and so this is what you addressed today I really appreciate that I appreciate the people that are um coming forward to you to kind of give you some of these insights because you don't you you can only guess at what they're all going through right like yeah. we as men can only guess and based on what the Bible tells us, that's the, the most we can really infer. So it's good when we're being told by the women of our congregation and the people, the, the salty pastor listeners, this is what we're struggling with. Can mm -hmm. you speak into it? So I yeah. think that's really important. Any final thoughts? Well, I just hope uh, the ladies uh, think about these things and make up their own mind. Because what I think about it in the end is irrelevant. What is most important is what you believe, because what you believe is one of the most important things about you. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Pastor. And we'll see you guys next week here on the Salty Pastor Podcast. Blessings.